Hey everyone, how's everyone doing? Um, welcome to the 11th episode of, um, we still don't have a name yet, um, a new name, old name, we, we're still trying to figure that out, but 11th episode of our podcast, um, unfortunately this one is like a couple of weeks since our reboot episode, which wasn't planned. Uh, we really hoped that we'd be able to do one sooner um, to talk about, especially during the Canada's, Canada qualifying matches, but time got away from us. Um, joining me today is only Samrad. Justin could not make it <laughs> still. Okay, we don't, we don't need Justin. Still having scheduling issues, apparently, but yeah, how are you doing, Samrad? Well, well, I just, just want to say, like, our, our podcast is coming, like, one episode, that'd be, like, what, one and a half months or something? We'll do a, an episode every like, month now. That's how this is going to go. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll try to get more episodes in, hopefully. Uh, although, albeit, it'll probably be with two people more often than three. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm still not sure about Triple Thrill or Triple Threat as a podcast name, but we, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how things go. Um, so today... Yeah, but anyways, I'm doing okay to answer your question. Perfect. Hope everyone else listening to this is doing okay as well. Yep, considering, considering everything going on in the world, we're hitting a sixth wave of COVID, apparently. That's what I heard oh, today. Oh, I love, I love surfing them waves. Hitting all the waves right now. Um, anyways, uh, uh, today I will mainly be talking about, uh, uh, Canada qualifying for the World Cup here. Uh, but I do want to mention um, the Oilers, of course, um, currently in a, uh, trying to get into the playoffs. Um, right now, they're in a pretty good spot, uh, second in the division at the moment. They rattled off some wins in a row last time since we last spoke. Um, currently not doing well, though. They're losing 4 nothing to Minnesota while we are recording this podcast. But <laughs> Let's go, Oilers! <laughs> I mean, overall, um, they did take advantage of games against um, low against teams that aren't in the playoffs and against teams in our division. And because of that, they're in a fairly comfortable spot in the playoff race. Um, so in the last few games, uh, Samer, how do you think the Oilers have been doing in trying up their game, getting ready for the playoffs? Uh, before I answer that question, I just I do want to note that uh, in in the last few games, or let's just say going back last like five six games, Oilers were able to get two points off Colorado, and they were able to beat St. Louis. Okay, now if we're gonna talk about performances, okay, so like you said, they've been able to do the business against the teams they should be able to beat, but <laughs> some better than not, some better than not. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So the poor, sorry, the performances have been very inconsistent. So like you know, one game Oilers show up really well. They're battling hard. You know, they're keeping it tight. They're not making many mistakes. Uh, goalies are actually coming in hard, and the teams, you know, teams able to match up well against the intensity of the opposition. So for example, like both Colorado games, I thought. Well, I mean, you know. Yeah, me being an Oilers fan, I haven't, I didn't actually see much of the second Avs game. But, so Rahul, you can talk more about that one. But definitely the first one was a very good contest. I thought Oilers did really well 
to match up against the Avs, and they honestly could have taken two points in that game. And it was unfortunate how they lost in overtime. There was there was one really really bad mistake, and then you know some kind of unlucky circumstances that kind of led to Avalanche winning in overtime. And then um, you know in the second game, from what I've uh, from what I was able to see and what I've been able to garner is that you know Gru- uh, sorry not Grubar <laughs> Kemper. <laughs> Kemper really kept the Avs in it in, in the game against us, so we did really well. We, Kemper basically yeah. stole a point uh, for stole two points for two Colorado point, yeah. their yeah. last game. Um, yeah, both games the Oilers played against the Avalanche. Really um, great effort both times around, and um, the first time around it was just a really weird play in overtime by the Oilers. I don't know what happened with Kane and McDavid and Nurse in overtime uh, that led to the yeah, Colorado dude, goal. Yeah, Nurse's helmet came off, so it, he had it, to go off. And was, Kane didn't was, see where the puck was. It was a so weird series of events in that one. And then the other game, it was just Camper standing on his head. I mean, in overtime, the Oilers had several chances to finish it on a power play, but Kemper was just on his head, Robbie, then, and Yep. It came to a shootout, skills competition. And, yeah, that, that, we, we probably could have done better in the shootout, but, you know, shootout's a shootout. A shootout. I like, mean, Drysdale had a slap shot in the shootout, so. Yeah, yeah. He I, does that I don't fire. know what he was thinking there, but. I've seen, we, <laughs> I've seen okay. him do that before. <laughs> when Dry's like, really tired, he just says, fuck it. But going back to the Oilers overall in the last few games, they even though they've been winning the majority of their games, they've been getting points even during some losses here, they've been very inconsistent in their play. And, St. Louis and game was a shit show. I'll, I'll take it the last three games, for example. The Oilers and Avalanche, the Oilers dominated the, that game basically for the most part. The Oilers and Kings, that was a fairly, in my opinion, a very, fairly even match. I mean, the Kings are battling for their playoff lives as well. So that was mm-hmm. a fairly evenly matched game. And Al- then, although they do have more injuries, so... Yeah, you know, I mean... It, they, we, you know, technically should be taking advantage of that, but yeah. Yeah, you'd, you'd think the Oilers would be dominating the Kings with all the injuries they have, but that's not the case. And then the game before the Kings, they played the Sharks where the Oilers <laughs> stole two points. That game I was watching, I was like, I was, I'm like watching that game, I'm dreading the playoffs. It's like, you, yeah. It's, this team for some reason has a very difficult time uh, playing three games well in a row, let alone two in a a row. Like, they've been struggling at that this entire season. And, during these winning streaks, this five-game winning streak, their recent one was a six-game winning streak. When they're being performing really poorly, it was only their goaltending that helped them steal some games to keep their winning streak alive, really. And I remember that bad stretch in December, January. Yes, they had injuries, but it was really showing uh, how bad yeah. this team can be. And Oh, yeah. I still am worried for the playoffs. I still don't know what to expect for the Oilers when it, when the playoffs do happen. Agreed. Because I don't think... I know some teams might have this, but like for a team like us, when when we don't particularly play well, we 
and okay, I understand that you can say this about most teams, like most teams in most team sports, uh, you know, and across multiple different sports across multiple different countries. But when we, when Oilers are messing things up or, you know, they're maybe not at their best level, they tend to lose almost all the time. It doesn't matter if, um, if the opponents they're playing are lesser opposition, no offense, or if they have, you know, problems like injuries or, you know, their, their, their coach hasn't set them up well for the game. If Oilers are just not on it, they somehow always find some, like, just really poor ways to take losses. Like, whether it's like, you know, they give up really bad turnovers or, you know, goalies letting in, you know, easy shots in the first few, first few shots of the game. Or are players missing the net? Like something happens, and it's just, it's always a guaranteed loss. It's like you know you can see the Oilers play, and you're like, okay, this is a loss, and it doesn't matter who they're playing. It like, and then sometimes you know there comes that point where they play well and they lose. But although you know, as as Rahul said, uh, recently Oilers are managing to get those wins. So this is it's nice to see that at least they're picking up wins. That's important. But when playoffs come it's going to be very difficult for teams like Oilers to be able to like pull off wins if they're being this inconsistent. If they were an elite team, like a, a truly contending team, like Tampa, for example, or yeah, you, you even Avalanche or, you know, let's say even some of the other better teams like, um, uh, Florida, Florida. Florida. I would put Florida. I want to say Florida, but like Florida hasn't really got into like the latter stage of the playoffs in the last three years. Right. But no, yeah, let's no. yeah let's say like wild and stuff like that. But like th- those kind of teams cannot really show up for most of the game, and they'll have key individuals who help them stay in the game, and then they can just completely steal it at the end. Oilers, if they don't really have a good performance, they're most they're gonna lose. Like it doesn't matter. Like they're gonna play uh, Kings, Golden Knights. It's gonna be trouble for them, and it. Especially because those teams are going to get most of the key players back, and it's going especially to be really the Golden Knights, especially the Golden Knights. Yeah, and then it, it's also like the whole thing with you know playoff hockey is different than regular season hockey. A lot of players, you know, teams collectively and the coaches step up. They know this is the time where you can't mess up, and they go extra hard. And we've seen in the past two seasons how Oilers have done against that kind of pressure. Yes, uh, you know, Oilers played better than their uh, record suggests against Winnipeg last season, but it still wasn't good enough. And clearly, the games against Chicago were not good enough. Both games, uh, oh, sorry, both series, uh, our coach got out, well, he got out coached, like straight up. Like, he he, he got out coached, there's no other way to like, say it. So, yeah. Some of the, yeah, some of the management was just really poor like on the ice like but you know we, we talked about that in some of our previous podcasts so if if you haven't checked those out you can check some of our earlier podcasts where we talked about Oilers um in the playoffs last season but but for this coming up for sorry for the upcoming playoffs because it, it does seem that Oilers have a very good chance of making it it'd take a disaster for us uh for us to fall out of the playoff spots it's not Which gonna be good it's not out of the question it's not, but I, I, yeah, I agree with you all. Like, it's the they're, they're likely going to make it. They're likely going to make it. Yeah, it's just, but when we do make it the playoffs, we're going to make it so tough on ourselves. They just don't yeah. have that kind of mentality. I think sometimes I do think we're in a better position because Woodcroft and Manson are here. 
they're, you know, we've seen visible signs of improvement. Like I'll, you know, or five on five is the best it's been in a long time. I, I would take this. But that inconsistency, man, it's just <laughs> like, it's just not like, I don't want this game going. Like what happens if you show up every other game and then you lose the series four or three? Like it's still not good enough. We want to make it past the first round. Yeah, so again, for this season to really be successful, they gotta win the first round of the playoffs, and we'll see what happens. I feel like we can go more in depth later on um, once the playoffs get closer, and we kind of have a better idea of where the Oilers are at and which team they most likely will be facing. Though I still feel like. In even the next couple of weeks, they'll still be tied. I think the playoff race is going to come down to the wire here. Um, yeah. Before we head off to uh, talk about Canada and the World Cup, do want to mention with the Oilers and the Wild, um, again, that game's currently going on as we speak. <laughs> and this is the oh, third man. and final meeting. Um, the Oilers have lost to the Wild 4-1, 7-3, and currently down 4 nothing right now. So... Bro, is it have... maybe just the team is in their head? I don't know, but hopefully it's Bro, just the, you... that the team's in their head. I hopefully. Do you do you have like the all times like head to head stats on you right now? Uh, between the Oilers and the Wild. Yeah. Uh, the Oilers the have won nineteen. The Wild have won thirty eight. Yeah, that, that. There you go. That this like what? Yeah. That's Minnesota or one of the Oilers like bogey teams. They, it's, it's terrible. They, the Oilers have the second worst winning percentage against the Wild. The worst yeah. is, I believe, against Boston. Oh, that's fair. Fully. I think Toronto knows a thing or two about that. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. Let's turn the... Well, let's change topics here and talk about something more exciting. Um, <laughs> I, I, Not more exciting, more... Yeah, it's more exciting. Yeah, I think it's more, more exciting. exciting. Yeah, yeah. This is a big thing. This is a huge thing. So, World Cup qualifying for Canada. If you haven't, if you've been living under a rock (laughs) and you haven't heard at all, for the first time since 1986, second time ever in history, Canada has made it to the World Cup. And yeah, I mean, that's like, you know, there's a lot of people who haven't even, who weren't even alive when Canada made it to the World Cup last time, like us, like our yeah. generation, and some, and maybe the generation before us too. Or Yeah, yeah, them too. It's ridiculous. Like, you know, looking... Okay, you know what? Actually, let's start with this. What are, what are your kind of, like, feelings and thoughts about Canada initially making it? Well, you know, for... If you were to ask me if I would think Canada would have made it, heck, even just a year ago, I'll be like... That's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough. But man, last year during World Cup qualifying, Canada made a statement. I mean, they, for the, up until this last leg here, they were undefeated in Mm -hmm. World Cup qualifying. Um, and the world was watching. The world was taking notice of, uh, this team and, Basically, the entire country basically was just right behind this country. It it was insane. <laughs> you mean behind this team? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I meant. 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's well said. Like, it, this, it's like you said, man, it, it, this is, like, one of the biggest things that I've seen in in our, like, country's sporting events. Like, obviously, you know, like, um, Team Canada winning Olympic gold at, uh, in, in the hockey event and stuff like that is massive, of course. Like, that's something we'll, we'll remember for forever, pretty much. But, you know, we're a hockey nation. Like, we're, we're one of the best hockey nations. Like, that, that was you know, you would expect us to win at some point, you know, at least yeah. a few times in our history. But, like, the men's soccer team or football team, this, oh, man. Like, when I was following um, soccer or football, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, back in, like, 2014, like, when I was following, like, like when I was following the sport very seriously uh, and, and like, um, like uh, I guess, like following like a lot of like different leagues and whatnot and internationally, Canada was like a shit show. It, they were like I might be being a bit harsh here, but like our team, especially in that period, like the I think um, for the uh, the World Cup qualifying period and and like the leading up to the 2014 World Cup was was not was pretty bad. And then you know I was watching the Gold Cups so. For those of you who don't know, no, sorry, don't know. Uh, like each each continent has their own like continental tournaments. So if you're familiar with the Euros, you know that's for Europe. So UEFA has the Euros. So here in North America, we're like the governing body for you know football or soccer. It's called Concacaf. It's an acronym, but we call it Concacaf. And so yeah. their tournament, our tournament, I, I should say, is called the Gold Cup. And so this happens every two years. So it's bian- biannual. And so, you know, looking at the Gold Cups of 2015 and stuff like that, our team was really poor and they were not coached well at all. We had like, no, okay, so I don't want to be harsh, but our team has like very unknown players, you know, like nobody would ever hear about these guys. Like we were a minnow, like even in our own continent, like we weren't really better than like any of the maybe like Central American or Caribbean nations, like we were like pretty at the bottom, like, and our ranking was like, like it was poor. Like we weren't a good team at all. And so, you know, there was some promise. Like I was following this team and I was like, okay, you know what? Our women's team has had some great effects coming up. Like, Oh yeah. uh, Yeah. So like, you know, like the big, the big reason why we qualified the men's team, I mean, is, you know, because of the whole coaching staff and our manager, John Herdman. And he came from the woman's side. Yeah. So he took. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just I'll just uh, share a bit of background and I'll, I'll show yeah, you for kind of, like, for our viewers listening if they don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, and then I'll just share like kind of my like feelings and my journey of watching this team grow and develop for like the last eight years. And so like so initially yeah like our team was bad, but like John Herdman, you know he he took our women's team to like new heights because historically our women's team was also pretty poor in the World Cup. They they made it typically because, you know, they're, they're pretty much like top two in North America. But the U.S. is the one who would, you know, take all the glory. They, they won World Cups and usually, yeah, well, yeah, they still do well in the Olympics. But, you know, they were doing really well in World Cups. And I think they won, um, what was it called? The uh, So they won the last two back to back, right? 2015, 2019? Wait, pretty what? sure. Like the U.S. women's team, they they won the Women's World Cup back to back, right? 2015, 2019, sign I believe, I think so. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, so. and then they've won. Not, they've I won, don't like, remember off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. They've won quite a bit in their history. But anyways, Canada making the World Cup was pretty tough because, like, I think our best finish was fourth. 
but we usually crash out of the group stages. John Herman comes along in 2015. It was in Canada, so we had home home field advantage, but he took us all the way to the quarterfinals. And this was an expanded World Cup, right? It expanded 16 to 24 teams. Right. He took us first in the group and then made us all, we got to the quarterfinals and lost to England because of like, you know, mistakes, but they had a good fight. And honestly, that was a really good run. 2012, three years prior in the Olympics, he got his gold medal, or sorry, <laughs> gold medal, bronze medal. Bronze medal. Right? And he repeated that in the 2016 Olympics with another bronze medal. And we were able to beat some good teams there. So he definitely knew how to manage um, teams against like bigger opposition and being able to handle stuff tactically. So, you know, 2017 Gold Cup comes around and, you know, John Herbert isn't in here yet, but you can see some of our emerging talent. Alfonso Davies really set the international stage at this point, at least in North America for, because, you know, I, I guess he wasn't like super big around the world because he was still in the MLS and stuff like that. Uh, I think you saw Whitecaps at that time. But, you know, this is like my first introduction to Davies because I, you know, being in North America and like I don't really follow MLS that much. Uh, that's just her personal preference, you know. But this is where I can kind of see like, you know, some of the guys in our team where, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. I think some of these guys have some, like we have some talent in our team. And then fast forward a bit later into that year, John Herman and his team comes up, the coaching staff. And, oh, I should also say John Herman and working with like the, you know, Canadian football, like the, well, I can't remember the actual like official name, but like the football association that, you know, governs Canadian soccer, you know, they were able to work and actually build up a proper system for women. So like for girls to actually like come up through the system and actually have academies and actually being able to turn pro. So it, it really allowed like the sport to foster here and allowed a pathways for people to actually get into the sport professionally. And this was like, the program was already doing like quite a bit in terms of the men's side as well. And it's it's definitely prospering. Like, we you know, we have the Canadian Premier League and everything. So John Kurtman had some roles to play in that kind of stuff. And and he technically is like the director of like football or footballing operations for, for the, I think in just total in general, like I think, like it technically falls under like the entirety of the Canadian soccer system. So like, he's also doing that stuff, but that journey from 2017 onwards, it, it was ridiculous. Cause you know, you had the, Oh, sorry. No, Herman came in 2018, right? Bro? So, I'm kind of yeah. Herman, of... Herman came in, uh, what was it? Jan, January, 2018. Yeah. Yeah. So I have it up here. In front of okay, me. thank you. Yeah, yeah January yeah, sorry, 2018, I, I, yeah. he came in. Canada was ranked 94th at that time. Yeah, sorry, I mixed that up, guys. Uh, yeah, so what Rahul said, it was early 2018. So our World Cup hopes had already ended the year prior because, you know, qualification usually ends the, um, like, the calendar year before the year of the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, so we... So this is what I'm saying. Like, our team was getting better. Like, we had this really bad lull in our team because, like, for for the last World Cup cycle, like the like the 2014 World Cup cycle, it was just not good. And you can see that, you know, like a lot of, you know, some of the guys weren't even showing up for the Gold Cups and we just didn't have any depth. We didn't have much talent coming through. Davies starts coming through and we have some other guys we can call upon. And, you know, of course, like some of our veterans, like Atiba Hutchinson, were always there, you know, <laughs> always trying to give their best. Right. And, and so 
we it wasn't even like we were close to making the final round of World Cup qualifying uh, in 2017. We managed getting third in our group. Uh, and if we had finished top two, we would have gone to the final round, which is the Hex. And that's what it was called before, because it's six teams in the final round. It was pretty solid effort from Canada, I have to say, because usually they would just get blown out. You know, like they wouldn't stand a chance in these kind of groups. Well, okay, maybe I shouldn't say that, but like they usually don't make it. And so they failed yet again. But there was hope there. Right. And so fast forward, you know, Herbman comes along in 2018. And we, sorry, and then the guys at, at Canada... You know, soccer association and of course like the coaching staff all working together they're actually pinpointing where our emerging talent was and calling these guys up early so that they can get integrated into the squad and start getting meaningful game time so that we can build their like their level and chemistry and cohesion into the into the national side so if you look now we do have a solid mix of like veterans so like guys like hutchinson and um Borian, who have been there for a while. And then you, I mean, even guys like Azoria and stuff were there for, for quite a bit too. But then you also have, oh, and sorry, and uh, what, uh, I'm, I'm totally blanking. Like, even, yeah, I mean, I guess even guys like Laren and Hoylet were there for a decent amount. Like, they're still, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would say, that, yeah. So, but what I'm, but the point I'm trying to say is like, we've incorporated younger talent that were actually like doing well in North America and it ended up getting moved to Europe recently even like now we're getting more of our guys getting into Europe and South America and stuff like that so that's really big because like you know before I, I you, you could count like on your finger how many Canadian players are playing in Europe at like a like a top 10 league or something now it you know a lot of it's growing a lot of these guys are like actually coming up but even if they're playing in lower divisions you know, they're still playing in, like, for example, like, second division in England, championship, like Hoyler. Or, like, you know, some guys are playing in Turkey, the first division, like Laren. And um, it's really cool to see because, like, now you don't – it's not just Davies. You have Jonathan David. You have Tejan Buchanan, right? You, and then – so th those are some of, like, the younger guys that we were able to pick up. Like, um, and, like, you know, uh, uh, sorry, Liam Miller and, like, Piet and all those guys. Adekube. Like, those guys have been massive – to our World Cup qualifying campaign. But it's also being able to pin or highlight some of the guys who had the option to play for Canada, but they weren't living in Canada at the time, or, you know, like they grew up in a different country, but they their parents had Canadian ties so they could still play. So like, we're talking about the Portuguese contingent here. So like guys like Seven Vittoria, you know, um, Stephanie Stacchio, like those guys were pretty important you know, coming in from Portugal. And they like, you know, Herdman and the guys were able to convince these guys to like, hey, we have a project going on in Canada. You guys can be a big part of this. And so they were able to bring them along and incorporate them into the squad. And they've done wonders for us. Like, it's it's really contributed a lot, especially guys like Yusakia, who's been, like, arguably... I mean, you can you can argue about, like, who's had the most impact on our team and like, who's the best player. But I think Yusakia has, like, pretty like one of the most pivotal roles in our team. And he's like has, like, one of the biggest impacts. And, like, there's a huge difference when he doesn't play compared to when he does play, even though he might not. So, like, you know, clearly, like, if you say, like, you know, Davies and David are better players, like, sure. But Yusaku has a, has a really big impact on our team. And so they were able to take some of this young talent, incorporate them, and take some of the guys who might not have played for Canada, like, initially. You know, like, they might not have really thought about it. They got these guys, and they were able to gel. You know, he took those guys and made them 
kind of like, um, what do you call it? He built that cohesion and trust. And, you know, if you see some of John Herman's interviews, and especially lately, uh, because he's, you know, hot topic right now, because right, Canada yeah. qualified. If you go to Sportsnet, um, One Soccer, um, I mean, okay, I know this is mostly Canadian-based channel, channel, channels and stuff like that, but he has said in interviews that when he was first, sorry, when he was first uh, hired as manager, he was really trying to get to the heart of the players and, like, why they wanted to represent Canada and what, you know, playing for Canada meant for them and, you know, what did they hope to achieve and stuff like that. He was really prodding these players, questioning them, you know, trying to see, like, like what was the significance of being on this team. And that's, like, one of the really cool things I really like about Herman is, like, he's not just a great tactician. He's a really good man manager. He brought the best out of the guys that we have in our system. He plays our guys to their strengths. He gets them pumped up. Like, he has everyone fighting. And you've seen the results of this because now they've qualified for the World Cup for the first time in 36 or 34 years or whatever, 36 years, yeah. And, you know, like, going back to starting in that, like, pretty intense qualifying period and, you know, the qualifying changed uh, from previous years. Yeah. And so they had to go through a few, you know, you had to play the, this initial stage where you're playing like, what, what was it, like five teams or four teams? Sorry, it was a group success. You had to play four other teams. Then you had to play a playoff. And then you finally got into the new octagonal, so like eight teams. And that's, it was grueling. That was a lot of games they had to play. But that, you know, people people point out that this new qualifying uh, setup actually helped Canada and their new players like incorporate like you know like the younger players and new players actually build chemistry because now they're able to play those initial games against like the smaller sides of, uh, of CONCACAF build up cohesion get better as they're playing and by the time they got to the octagonal they were like a really well drilled machine with a lot of people understanding their roles and you know like having a, like that great teamwork already in place because they played so many games beforehand uh, in the World Cup qualifiers prior. And so you, you kind of saw that. Oh, actually, you did see that. It was clearly evident when they were beating teams like Mexico and the U.S., for example. That, that was massive. And they were, and then, yeah, like, they only lost two games <laughs> throughout all the qualifying. They qualified early. They topped the octagonal. Uh, yep. They went up, yeah, they went up to, like, rank 30... Uh, 30, okay, thank you. 33, and it's, you know, like that, none of that was by luck. I mean, sure, there might have been lucky moments here and there, but, you know, Canada was mostly the better team in a lot of these games. And a lot of that was done by having the, I guess, like the time built over for these guys to actually kind of like, like build up some kind of chemistry. And that a lot of that has to go down to the coaching staff. Yeah, and and again, thirty three ranked in the world. Uh, Canada was named the most improved side by FIFA in twenty twenty one. They rose thirty nine spots from seventy to seventy two to uh, thirty three. Um, I do want to ask, since you actually went to a qualifying game last year, how was the atmosphere like? I mean, Canada is this this team took has taken Canada by storm here. Yeah, I mean, oh boy. So I went to the Costa, uh, I think it was the, was it this? Yeah, so I went to the first meeting against Costa Rica in the octagonal. So this yeah. was here in Canada, obviously. In Edmonton. <laughs> it was yeah. here in Edmonton, yeah. 
Um, so that, okay. So the atmosphere here was amazing. Like it, it was really nice to see Canada, like Edmonton even, because like, you know, Edmonton isn't really known for football. Like we, we do have a soccer team here called FC Edmonton who now play in the Canadian Premier League, but they used to play in the North American soccer league. You know, it's not, it's not really big here. Like people are like very hockey crazy, you know, like clearly, you know, we, it, it is a hockey nation, but our, our city particularly is like a hockey crazy city. We, we have the Edmonton Oilers here, but also like even like um, the es- uh, ah, sorry, the Edmonton Elks, you know, like, you know, American style football, like that's still pretty big too. So to go to that qualifying game and see, I, I can't remember the numbers now for the attendance, but it was massive. Like, yeah, I think it was like, yeah, I don't remember. It was huge. I can't remember. It, was... it was huge. It was over 50,000, I think. It was. People it, were, like, waiting outside for hours just oh, yeah. trying to like, get it in. Massive, it was man. incredible. And yeah, like, it's a huge like, positive, especially since in 2026, Canada is going to be co-hosting FIFA yeah. World Cup. And Edmonton is one of the cities that are trying to get uh, some games. So for us to actually host uh, some of these qualifying matches and have the attendance that we have is huge. And... Of course, there's going to be a lot of changes that will be needed uh, in Commonwealth Stadium to actually host games because the turf is not real grass. They need to yeah. actually have real grass for the 2026 FIFA World Cup. But, man, seeing the the crowd that show up to these games in Canada, it's huge. I, I do want to mention... Um, so, like, when we had the Women's World Cup hosted here in 2015... Right, yeah. The... The attendances for the Canada games was actually quite good as well. Like there was a, there was a large sorry there was quite a large turnout for each of the Canada's games. Yeah. So it so when Canada is involved in these kind of events, like I think a lot of the nation does turn up. Like I think there's more and more people following the sport like over the decade, like over the last decade, right? Yeah. And I I think like whenever Canada's involved, like people do care. Like even if you're not, even if they're not like an actual football fan. You know, just supporting Canada is a big thing, like, it, and it really gets them riled up. And so, when I went to the Costa Rica game, it was madness. Like, you had—I mean, to be fair, this is—you know—I was sitting in a section specifically for people to like go ham. You know, people were like having flags and like <laughs> nice, had, like, nice, a bunch of like—I um, oh, can't remember if they—I don't know if they had horns or something, but it was really funny because, like, you know, like when the refs are making bad decisions, people are chanting "You suck, ref!" Like that's how hard they're going, right? Like, people were really, like, into it. Like, they're clapping all the time, right? Like, cheering them on, like, putting chants out. And I know that's, like, typical stuff. Like, that's usually what you expect. But for me to see that, and I, I was just like, damn, this really feels nice. Because, like, 2015 game, when I went to the Canada Women's Opener against China, I believe it was, well, that was really nice. You know, like, it was my first time really going. I think that was, yeah, I think that was my first football game. It was really nice seeing everyone supporting Canada and, you know, they, they ended up winning that game with a last-minute penalty. And then going to this Costa Rica game, and, like, all these people just really want to see our – like, they're really nice uh, – sorry, they're really excited about how our team is, has been developing, has grown, and they had a, we had a real shot at making the World Cup. And then, you know, I didn't get to get to the Mexico game that happened right after that Costa Rica I, I feel game, like but that, can- one, that one was crazy. I feel like the Canada-Mexico game in Empton was a real, like, statement for Canada. Oh, yeah. I felt that like that was, was a statement game for Canada. It really was, man. Like, <laughs> I know people were joking 
and making uh, jokes about the the name of Mexico Stadium because like the big one that Mexico usually plays in uh, is the Azteca. And so people are making jokes of like, oh, you're coming to Canada in the winter time. Well, it wasn't technically winter, it was November, but you know, there was a lot of snow on the ground. <laughs> it felt like yeah, there was snow on the ground. So people were joking, they call it the Ice Teca. Yeah. And we beat them here. And then we're like, ha, you come to our fortress, the Ice Teca, where you can't, you ain't going to win against us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and this was massive too, because, you know, we, we, <laughs> Canada didn't really have good records against Mexico and US. Oh, actually, you know what? Before I even go on to the into the qualifying games there, I do want to mention the 2019 Gold Cup. And, okay, I know, you know for the people who follow the 2019 Gold Cup, you know, like, uh, most of the teams in the Gold Cup didn't send their full squads. And that usually happens because it's biannual, right? So, like, right. the players get tired, right? Like, they don't want to play an international tournament every two years. They'll like skip one maybe or and then or maybe they show up for like the last few games or something like that. But in, in this case, because the World Cup qualifiers were being condensed because of COVID, they were going to start in uh, fall 2019. So September. <laughs> and so a lot of teams already had played qualifiers. Like I mentioned, Canada had to play the initial qualifiers, sorry, qualifiers. And so they a lot. Sorry, half our squad pretty much kind of decided not to show up for Gold Cup because they want to rest. It was the off season. It was the off season, so they had they needed some rest and whatnot because their club uh, football would start soon. And so you know, teams like USA were sending C teams, Mexico was sending like B teams or mixed squads. We had right. mixed squads as well, like A and B teams. And so, but but even then, but oh, sorry, Rob. <laughs> you, you, I didn't lose you. You just turned off your video for some reason. Yeah, sorry, Rahul, could you just continue on for five minutes? I'll be back. I, I can just pause the podcast here, you oh, know. Oh, yeah, sorry, can you can you do that? Um. Uh, by the way, Samra, before you go, yes. it's now 5 nothing. Oh, no. Anyways, then, yeah. So, this... um, we're going to take a little pause here, and then we'll wrap, continue on here. I'm good. All right. Uh, after a brief um, interruption there, uh, Samra, do we want to continue talking about the Gold Cup in 2018, I believe. Oh, uh, 2019. What? 2019, there we go, yeah. Sorry, that's, oh, my bad, guys. <laughs> I had a little I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, you know what? I mixed it up. I mixed up the 2019 Gold Cup with the 2021 Gold Cup. <laughs> okay, you know, I, I, it's only a two-year difference, you know. I guess it's pretty important. I, I will say this, though, because Oof. 2019 Gold Cup was the first major tournament that Herdman was actually in charge of with this team. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. And so this is where, like, Jonathan David really emerged in terms of, like, on the international scene because this guy was just, like, Davies before him, but, like, even more so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember uh, TSN Sportsnet just talking about Davies during that time, during that Gold Cup. I remember that. Yeah, because so Davies had the emergence in the 2017 World Cup, and then you know he was really he was doing really well for us. We ended up losing in the uh, first knockout round against Jamaica, and but it, there was progress, right? 2019, Davies is you know even more of a bigger name. Like obviously he had, he hadn't, um, oh sorry, he had moved to Byron um, like months prior, I believe, but he ha wasn't like you know a regular starter or anything, so he was still establishing himself there. But he was a big like people knew of his talent. And yeah. so Jonathan David was kind of like uh, I don't know what you call it, like a like a hidden gem kind of thing. 
I mean, I, I'm pretty sure people could say that, you know, hardcore fans would probably follow him too. But, you know, he was he was emerging as well at that time. And so, like, he made a really big statement in that Gold Cup. We, you know, we ended up having an embarrassing defeat to Haiti in the first round, uh, knockout, like the quarterfinals, the first knockout round. And that was really poor because Canada had a 2-0 lead in the first half. Missed some chances, and then they completely collapsed into the second half. Haiti scored three goals, and they ended up winning. And it was just really embarrassing because, you know, Canada, like, they had a good fight in the group stage. They, they finished second to Mexico, but they were able to score in each of the games. And so, you know, people were like, oh, this is really great. And our Hurtman's taking us to, like, new levels. This is great progress. We end up losing to Haiti, and we're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, is our team really going to be like this? Is, are we going to be, like, a mentally weak side? And Herbin's like, nah, bruh, F this shit. The 2021 World Cup is the one where a lot of teams are not, you know, not taking, well, I don't want to say not taking it seriously. It's just like they didn't have all of their squad members. Yeah. Especially like their first 11. And so, but Canada did really well still. I mean, yeah, we lost to US, but like we technically dominated that game. But, you know, it's like the US is like B or C team. Like it's like, okay, the, you technically should be dominating them. Like any team should be, but US won. So I, I don't know how the hell they were able... I don't know. It was weird. Like, every team that played uh, U.S., like, technically had their chances, but they kept missing, and then U.S. was just, like... Like, they were always in the game, so they ended up winning. But but the, the really big thing, though, is that we topped our group... Or, sorry, we didn't top our group. We finished second to U.S. We beat Costa Rica in the quarterfinals. That was massive, because I don't even remember when the last time we beat the Costa Rica in a competitive game was. Probably, like, you know, decade, like a decade or so back, maybe even further. That was a really good win. Yeah. And we were able to play Mexico in the semifinals, and we took that game all the way to, like, till added time at the very end where Mexico scores that game winner. And it was a really good performance by our boys. And I know both Mexico and Canada weren't at their full strength, but it's showing that not Canada doesn't only rely on the same first, like, starting 11 guys. They have quality depth. And John Herman and his coaching staff are able to use the strengths of our depth and still have these kind of performances. And then they took it one step further by beating, like, well, I want to, I don't want to put, like, asterisks on the Canadian team that made the World Cup because they definitely earned their place in the World Cup. Yeah. It's not, like, I can't, like, you can't even say it's been luck, too. Like, they've, they've more than earned it. They've been, they've been one of the best teams in our, well, they have been the best team in the continent, like, by far. But, I do want to say, though, this has got to be one of the weakest periods for CONCACAF teams that I've seen in a while. Because you have, like, guys like... Oof, you have guys like Jamaica who are, like, completely in turmoil, you know? Like, they were, like, firing their manager before him or stuff like that in, in between qualifying. Uh, sorry, during qualifying. Costa Rica has, you know, they're, they're pretty much done now. Like, they're like 2014... <laughs> Yeah, 2014 was a great run for them, but like this is a, this is still a very aging squad, and I know they have experience, but they haven't really been able to get like, I guess like good new talent coming in, or like not a like a lot of it, and so they haven't really been able to, they haven't really been able to do much in terms of revitalizing. US is actually the only team I would say that's better squad wise. Uh, if you look in the last like four years, like if you look over the last cycle, okay. But they, but their manager, and I, I, like you know, I don't, like no offense to Burhalter, but like he, I don't think he's 
the guy to really utilize the talent that this U.S. side has. And it's and it's shown. It's shown in some games. And a lot of people who are following the U.S. men's team are highly critical of him. You know, Mexico is also no, it's not as good as they were in 2018. They're not as good as they were in 2019. Like, uh, once again, they have some... They actually have younger guys to call on. But, you know, Martino was, from what I've seen, he was kind of reluctant to incorporate some of these younger guys earlier on. He's starting to do it more now. Uh, some of the age, you know, like the, there's a few vets there that probably should leave, but it just, it, it, like Mexico still has a good team, in my opinion. I just don't think they're as good as they used to be, if you, like in the last World Cup, for example. And I, and I think some of these newer guys need more time to gel. And then you have teams like uh, like Panama, for example, who who are fighting, you know. But they're clear, like they're also not as good as they were as when they made the World Cup back in 2018. And so, a lot of these teams have gotten worse, and Canada got better. And so they both coincided, and then it allowed for Canada to be able to beat these teams when, you know, potentially, if we were talking about Costa Rica, uh, U.S., Mexico, Panama, Jamaica, as if they were like of years past. Canada would have had a real, really hard fight in their hands. I still think they would have made it out through qualifying because I think we have a talented squad and, like, you know, pretty much the best manager in terms of, like, international teams here. But it's something we got to remember, I think. Like, it, it could have been much harder for us. Right. It could have been. It definitely could have been. Uh, but... At the same time, it's nice that Canada took advantage, and hey, we're in the World Cup this yeah, year, so, November. Uh, yeah, so Rahul, quickly, uh, let's let's kind of like do a rundown of the teams in in the group. I, I was going to I was going to go right there, man. I was oh, okay. <laughs> thinking of the same thing. So, the World Cup draw, of course, happened um, April. First, I believe, which was a week and a half ago. Yeah, we got drawn in Group F with Belgium, Morocco, and Croatia. So I, I, again, don't follow soccer that much. Samrat, you do. So maybe, maybe going sort of in depth with the countries Candle's facing and how you think Candle will fare in this group. Oh, dude, this is such an easy group because Canada is just too good. We're going to win the World Cup. Oh, we're going to win the World Cup. We're going to ace. We're going to win all these games in our draw and just go all the way. the maple syrup. Hell yeah, that's maple syrup and poutine, man. Let's go. Okay, so I'm not going to do anything in depth because, you know, there's a lot that can happen uh, between now and the World Cup. And obviously, like, we'll save the in-depth World Cup preview for maybe, like, Maybe like a couple of months before the World Cup actually starts, or maybe like you know right before the World Cup right starts, before, because yeah. it's probably because like you know there's so much stuff that can happen with like between now and, and November when it starts. Also, the other big thing is um, when it comes to international football, it's really hard to judge these kind of things because first of all, you know players are not with your international teams all the time like they are with their club teams. It's only in like these certain windows that you go like once here. In September, October, then oh, okay, you got nothing until like March or whatever, maybe November, uh, and then June, something like that. So it, it always breaks rhythm, and the manager of the national team has to get these guys playing in rhythm pretty quickly, 
just like that, right? So then it's really hard to get like really complex ideas across because you don't have time to train all these ideas, especially because you're training all this other stuff with your club team all the time. You need to like you have to like clear your headspace. It's it's hard. It's right. really hard to gel. And obviously, like when you have players in the national team for a long time playing with each other, then you get used to each other. That's one thing, right? But if a new manager comes in, you get them playing differently, then like, okay, then that takes time to adjust too. And you look, look at Italy, for example. Mancini did really well to integrate like the same, and this is what Herman was doing with Canada. Like he integrated like the same, like, you know, 20 some people. And so they can build cohesiveness faster because they're all familiar with each other. And he was using the same guys and using these guys in like games as substitutes if they weren't starting. And, and like you would switch them around. And so they built this cohesion for the Euro qualifying and they ended up winning the Euros. Obviously, it didn't work out so well after the Euros because they uh, completely shit the bed and didn't yeah. make the World Cup. And then they lost to North Macedonia of all teams. <laughs> I was quite surprised by that result. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's just, oh, man. But yeah, we, we can talk about that another time, though. But I mean, I even if they beat them, they would have to face Portugal. Yeah, to be fair, Portugal's a mess, dude, because of their manager. Like, did yeah. you see the game? When I was watching the game against Turkey, I'm like, okay, I see you're going more attacking, Santos, for, like, the first time in, like, ever. But you left so much gaps in the midfield, man. Holy crap. Son of all, <laughs> dude, watching that game was so tough. I was just like, uh, I don't even know what the fuck these tactics are. <laughs> uh, like I said, we, we can talk about this another time. But if... Just saying a quick thing about the teams in our group. Uh, I'll just say like maybe a few a few small things, be- and then we can go in depth in this like later in the year. So Belgium, Belgium's still a really really tough team, but they haven't been really they haven't really shown their 2018 levels. So you know, in qualifying they get the business done clearly because they're beating up on smaller teams for the most part. But if you look at their year 2020s. They have individual players who can turn the game. And you saw that against uh, Denmark, for example. You know, like, I, I thought Denmark dominated that game. But guys like De Bruyne and Lukaku and Hazard, you know, the, the other Hazard, for people who know what I'm talking about. I do, I do. Yeah. The younger Hazard. <laughs> uh, you know, like, th- there's quality. Like, there's, you know, for, uh, for Carrasco, who I rate really highly. Like, they have a lot of talented players. They have individual quality that can change the game. But Martinez, I don't think he's really gotten this team evolving from how they were in 2018. I don't think, you know, that like you can argue some of the guys are getting older too, but I don't, I don't think that's really the problem for this team. I think the problem is, like, they just haven't really – they've stagnated, I think. They, they, they played worse football in Euro 2020, and, like, they got knocked out by Italy pretty badly. Their game against Portugal was not, not that great either. I know they won, but that was not – it's not a good performance it's going to be tough. Like, you know, I, I think the Belgian players know, like, this might be their last chance to have a real shot at the World Cup, like these group of players. So they might go ham, but obviously Belgium is still a big team. They're they're better than Canada. Like, you know, they, they could still top this group. Right. But yeah. I do think... I don't think we'll beat them, but I do think we can have a good fight against them. Okay. Uh, right. Croatia, okay. So, now, Croatia is another tough one because that 2018 one was insane. And then, you know, a lot of their players were old and you were like, oh, this, this Croatia team is done, right? Like, they're not, it's like, they're pretty much on their last legs. And then it turns out, you know, like, 
as as it is in most most of the Balkan states, there's a lot of talent in that country that comes out of that country. And so, you know, the team actually is incorporating younger talent in this squad. Uh, they have experienced veterans. And, and you know, for, for football fans, of course, you know, guys like Perisic, Modric, you know, who had a, you know, <laughs> pretty good moment today in the in the Real-Chelsea game. Uh, and then you have guys like Brozovic. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of blanking on the new names because I haven't been following this team. But they do have younger talent like that's, like, incorporating into the squad. And Croatia definitely is a is a team to still be feared, I think. Um, like, they still put up a really good fight against Spain last uh, last year in the Euros. So that just shows you that they're not finished by a long shot. They still have a lot of damage that can be done. We'll see how they do in the Nations League, just like Belgium, like the UEFA Nations League, because technically they are competitive games. But, man, see, that's going to be another tough one because, you know, Croatia's midfield is still very strong. And I... I don't know if Canada's going to be able to get a point with them. Like, I mean, it's possible. Like, because Canada also has, like, good front-end talent. But, man, that is tough. And then you look at Morocco. And, I, you know, like, the way Morocco has been playing recently. So, because, you know, like, the, 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 what do you call it? The 2021 Africa Cup of Nations got postponed to earlier this year. Morocco did... Morocco did decently, but, like, nothing to show that they were, like, really going to go hard, you know, like, getting not like getting outplayed by Egypt in the last 30 minutes, for example, was not really the greatest showing, especially since Egypt isn't the greatest attacking team out there. But they did do well in their groups for the most part. Like, it, it was solid. I just don't think they have the panache or pizzazz they had in the 2018, like, cycle. And so, I, like, once again, I don't want to underestimate any team because, you know, if you have experience in the World Cup, that goes a long way. Our guys don't have experience in the World Cup. So that could make all the difference when it comes to these kind of games. Even if you have the better manager, even if you have the better players, experience is a big thing that you can, you can rely on. And so I, I do feel like Canada could beat Morocco. But like once again, like I don't want to be super optimistic because like, you know, like a new team in pot four coming to the World Cup, like they could easily lose... Like, they could have a good game against all three teams in the group, right? And still lose all of them. It's yeah. very possible. It's It happens, right? Like, the see, the sad thing about these team sports isn't that, like, you know, whoever plays better wins the game. It's whoever scores more, whoever makes less mistakes. I, I, honestly, it's possible for Canada to get, like, maybe two or three points. But it's also possible, you know, they get zero. Like, it, it, it's... All of those are very realistic. So it it's tough that they're gonna make it out of the group, but honestly, I think I think it's it's a good test for them for for like the twenty twenty six World Cup to just understand how these how the World Cup really is, you know? That pressure. It's gonna be interesting to watch. Uh do you have any early predictions or do you wanna wait on predictions? Oh boy. Okay, I I won't say predictions, but I'll just say I'll <laughs> I will say this. I think Brazil and Argentina and France and Spain are my big four favorites for this tournament. That is fair. Yeah. Yeah, I I kind of have to agree with you on that one. Um in terms of Canada, man, I hope they finish top 2 in their group and move on. Uh they can. I think they can. It's just 
it's going to be tough. At the end of the day, it's going to be tough. But it's going to be very entertaining to watch. Um, I think we can leave it off of there. This has been a very long one. Um, (laughs) But I think it's good that we have a long one here because trying to make up for time we missed. Um, But, yeah, that's kind of our talk about Canada qualifying. It's very exciting. Um, I remember on... um, an article on Sportsnet too is like maybe Canada is a soccer nation after all. <laughs> man, that was a that was a crazy week. Um, but yeah, next uh, podcast hopefully we can get another one in a week. <laughs> in a week, yeah, hopefully, yeah. Ho- hopefully, even uh, maybe even this weekend, you know. It's it's, uh, it's a long weekend, maybe. Yeah, so stay tuned, guys. Don't worry, this podcast isn't dead yet. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we have a name next time we do one. Hopefully we have a name. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm Rahul. Uh, Samrat, thank you for doing the majority of the talking. Uh, I don't have (laughs) as much soccer knowledge as you do, so thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I was saying a lot of detailed stuff either. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's fine. We're, we talked enough for today. Uh, that's fair. So for everyone listening, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, share with your friends. Uh, uh, please, please share. I would love more viewers. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, stay healthy, stay safe, everyone. And this is... Still a no-name podcast for now. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone.